Here we go. You are listening to Open Mic Friday Law and Gospel on this March the 5th in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and perhaps a number of you heard our broadcast yesterday with Wes Reimnitz, where we announced some really good news that the state of Missouri is the first state in the union to end abortion. In other words, no one is performing abortions. And the reason for that is that on May the 17th, 2019, a law was passed in Missouri that made abortions illegal after eight weeks of pregnancy and no exceptions for cases of rape or incest. Now, the particular group here in Missouri that was having abortions, as they have throughout all over the place, Planned Parenthood, they have stopped doing abortions and are telling those women who want to have abortions to go across the Mississippi to Illinois, where they're going to be having another abortion clinic. Now, one of the items that we said, and we were talking about the state of Missouri, and I may have misstated this, I indicated that I knew of no other radio station that was totally pro-life. Now, I was talking about the state of Missouri. KFUO, I give a lot of credit to, for years has been pro-life. In fact, it never was not pro-life. began in 1924, and I've been on there for 24 years on KFUO and never once criticized when I spoke from a pro-life point of view. And I mentioned that our own synodical president, Harrison, joined in the march in Washington recently for the pro-life movement. And we have had others in Missouri who are definitely were pro-life, like Rush Limbaugh, etc. Now, on KFUO, one of the best programs that is consistently pro-life is Issues, etc., but it's also found on other programs like the Coffee Hour, the Bible Study. In fact, I don't know of any program that isn't pro-life. Well, we got a email from a individual, Gloria Zwinka, and she was saying that no, she is in Texas, and there's a radio station there called KHCD. And it is totally also pro-life. So I don't know anywhere else in Missouri where there's a pro-life radio station. There are stations where you have people on it that are pro-life, like Sean Hannity, etc. But for an entire radio station outside of KFUO, I'm unaware of it. But... If I gave the impression that there's no radio station in the entire country or in the entire world that's pro-life, uh, that would have been a mistake because she says that KHCD in Texas and also in parts of Florida are pro-life. But it's Missouri that is the state 
that has been able to stop abortions from occurring in this state because of a law that the legislator had, legislation had where you cannot commit abortion after eight weeks of a baby in the womb. So that's the first item we want to talk about. Then here's another email. Uh, good day, uh, Pastor. I've been listening to your program for a while now and have learned a lot about the proper distinctions between law and gospel. Like Walther says in his book, it is easy to learn the distinction academically, but difficult to understand and apply it to your life. Your show has really helped me in this regards. So before I go on with the email letter, let me explain what this person is saying. You can read the Bible and it's pretty clear what is happening from a historic point of view. That's the interpretation. We know from the Bible that a man named Jesus of Nazareth, that he was crucified and that he rose from the dead. But even the disciples who witnessed the crucifixion and heard about the resurrection from the dead were unable to apply it to their lives. They were totally confused. A number of them were hiding in an upper room, and then Jesus had a conversation with two of them on the road to Emmaus, where he went through the Old Testament to show the necessity of the Messiah having to die and be risen again from the dead. And their hearts leaped for joy because they had now understood the application of the interpretation of the scripture. So somebody can have the Bible memorized as did some of the religious leaders in Jesus' day, like scribes, etc. But they denied Jesus as the Messiah. They did not get the proper application. And so that's what we do on Law and Gospel. We not only give you the interpretation as to what the Bible is saying, but we explain it, applying it to your life. So going on then with this email. The question that I would like you to help me answer from a law gospel perspective comes from the text in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. God commands Adam that he is free to eat of any tree in the garden, but must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God goes on to say that the day that Adam eats of this tree, he will surely die. My question, should this be taken as a law passage to Adam? To me, it clearly outlines to Adam something that he must not do and the consequences of disobeying. However, since this is before the fall and sin, I'm not sure how I can understand this commandment. Maybe this has nothing to do with the law, but I definitely need some clarification. I know the law was established to curb sin and to show us our need for a savior. So how should we understand this commandment from God. Now, let me stop at this point. I'll continue with the email in a moment. But the first point I want to make 
I know the law was established to curb sin. Actually, according to the New Testament, the law was established to mirror sin, to show you that you were, <coughs> excuse me, that you were a sinner and your need for a savior. So since this occurred before the fall, can we say it's the law? Well, let me give you an analogy that might be helpful. Parents are unable to have children, so they adopt a child. And maybe the child is, say, eight years old. Well, one of the first things the child learns is what are the rules of the household? Like, we eat at a certain time. You have certain duties, like to keep your room clean. And maybe you do the dishes, take out the garbage, perhaps wash the car, cut the lawn, etc. All those are rules of the law given to the child, even though the child has not disobeyed any of them because the child was just adopted. And so until they hear the law, they don't know what is going to be contrary to the wish of the parents. So I have no problem understanding this as law. And there are three uses of the law. Uh, the first use is in a sinful world where the government is given authority to punish individuals who break the law. That's called the curb of the law. The second use is in a sinful world where the church preaches the law to SOS, to show our sin. But there's a third use of the law, and that is to give us insight as to what the will of God is. Therefore, before the fall, I see no problem in understanding God's speaking to Adam and Eve about not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as part of the third use of the law. Just as parents will give that use of the law to children as to how to have a happy household and a peaceful household. Now, after hearing the third use of the law, if a child breaks the law, then there can be discipline. And that discipline is to help the child to not do what he or she wants, but what the parents want. And so then that's what occurs in the church with the second use of the law to accuse us that we have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, the email writer goes on. Uh, maybe this commandment to Adam was a result of God's love for him in creating him and sustaining him with all the wonderful gifts God gave him, not to win God's favor or approval, but out of love for God. Now, that makes sense to me, but I am not sure. Basically, if you were to explain this passage from a law and gospel perspective, I would really appreciate it. I hope that my question is understandable, and I look forward to your reply. And then the email is signed. Okay, there's no doubt 
that when a parent tells a child certain rules in the household, a lot of time the children just obey those rules. They, they don't disobey them. And, and that is because of the love of the parents toward the child. For example, we had a rule in our house that mom would always have the dinner ready at five o'clock. Now that was said to us because after school, I always liked playing baseball and I was to make sure I would be home at five o'clock. Now, why was that law in place? So that I could have a good meal. Uh, imagine if I didn't get home until eight or nine o'clock at night, well, then the meal would be cold and maybe there would be no meal. So at any rate, the law, whether you obey it or not, is given out of love by the parents so that there will be a wonderful household. So also, we don't obey God's law in order to win his favor or approval because we already have that because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. He paid for our sins and therefore there is nothing that we need to do in order to be saved. Jesus has done everything. So when we understand that, then we have a complete understanding of the work of the law. And so therefore, it's very important that we hear God's law, even in a sinful world, because he gives it so that we might receive blessings. Remember, on Monday, when we did the Ten Commandments, we had a point of view that disobedience against the Ten Commandments was not just a sin. It was throwing a gift from God back into his face. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they lost God, they lost the ability to talk to him, and they lost the ability to hear him. Well, the first three commandments restore those gifts. I am the Lord your God. Number two, don't take my name in vain. Use it for the purpose in talking to me. And number three, remember the Sabbath day, which means that is the opportunity where I will talk to you. So, next email. I have a burden in my heart for the souls of Europe. I visited Europe and genuinely love Europeans. But when I think of how the cradle of Christianity is abandoning the faith, I am extremely saddened. It's so odd that in part of this world where the symbols of Christianity are everywhere, atheism would have such a stronghold. When there, I was there last, I actually found my faith revived. As I hiked through the Alps, I broke down and cried at the majesty of our God and how great he must be to have conceived of such wonders. Everywhere I visited, I was walking in the footsteps of some great saint or preacher of the faith. I could not help but be inspired. How can my brother Europeans not see what is so important. 
Well, I'm not wealthy by any means, but I want to redirect a portion of my tithes to European missions, as well as my prayers and anything else I can give. So I'm searching for the right place to give, which has proven quite a challenge. I've asked several pastors and they couldn't help me. I searched the internet and found many questionable missions. So I was wondering if you might be able to help me. And the answer I would give is, first of all, you go to your pastor, no matter what your denomination is, they usually have a mission for overseas missions. And and therefore you could give through that. Or if you're really interested in Europe, I'm uh, the treasurer of Concordia Mission Society, to which you can send a check. And that money is going to be going for mission work in Asia. In fact, the board has just voted to send $250,000 to the seminary, the Lutheran Seminary in Nova Sibiris. And so we're going to have a meeting to not only okay that, but to send that money on. So this person would like to be able to help in any of the countries that her ancestors were in. England, France, Germany, Belgium, the Netherlands, Switzerland, Austria, Denmark. She says, I'm probably coming across as a very difficult person. I really am not. I just want to be very cautious that I'm doing the right thing. My heart is sorely lacking in peace over this issue. My gifts will likely start out small. As I mentioned, I'm not wealthy, and I do have family responsibility. But reaching Christ, reaching Europe for Christ is a passion of mine, one I see as encompassing the rest of my life. I would appreciate any response you have for me. And so that's the response that I would give. Check a look at your denomination's mission, where that money goes, and you can give to that, particularly if it is over to Europe. But Concordia Mission Society is set up for helping people. In fact, we already have built a church over in Kazakhstan, and we continue to support missionaries in Kyrgyzstan, and we're now going to be supporting the seminary in Nova Sibirsk. All right, next email. Pretty short. According to you, what would a Christian look like? Thank you. Well, it all depends what you mean by who's looking at the Christian. If we're talking about other human beings, many a time there's not that much difference between a Christian and any other human being. I've already mentioned that I had the privilege of visiting state prisons and a federal prison, and I met Christians in those prisons. Now, those were Christians, even though they were paying the penalty for having broken the law. And some of those laws 
were against murder, etc. So one would say, well, there's not much difference between that kind of a Christian and any other human being. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Now, there's no doubt that those who are attending church, who are reading the Bible, they may have a different kind of an attitude that is obvious toward their neighbor. They may be like the previous email writer who has a love for missions overseas and wants to contribute to that. Or they may be involved in soup kitchens, giving clothes to the needy, etc. But you still don't know by looking at those works whether or not you're looking at a Christian because there are others who are not Christians who may be doing those same things, but they're doing them out of the motivation of self-interest. And that's why, who are you talking about when you say, to whom does a Christian look like? If you're talking about other human beings, sometimes there's not much difference. But if you're talking from God's point of view, there's a huge difference. What does a Christian look like from God's point of view? From God's point of view, a Christian is a person who is a serious sinner deserving nothing but temporal and eternal wrath. Even when they believe in Jesus Christ, they continue to sin because their old Adam Uh, The devil and the world tempts them to sin, and they fall into that sin. But from God's point of view, there's another picture of Christian, and that is because of their trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, namely that he died on the cross to pay for your sins and rose for your justification— A Christian is seen by God as one who has his sins forgiven. And what does that mean? I've said it many a time before that you are no longer under the burden of having to pay for your sins because that's what Jesus did. Also, a Christian from God's point of view, particularly in light of baptism, has not only had his sins forgiven, but also has received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so this is why when the disciples heard that Jesus was going to die, remember he told them that, they were shocked. And they tried to persuade him not to go to Jerusalem or Peter tried to persuade him that he would protect them, etc. And of course, that was a temptation to Jesus to refuse to die on the cross for the sins of the world because they didn't realize that that was his mission. Now, I am serving four congregations. I dare say that when I'm preaching to those four congregations, when I make the comment that a man named Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross for your sins, Nobody in those four congregations stands up and say, that's ridiculous. No, they believe that. 
And that is a sign of a Christian of not only understanding the Bible, but seeing the application of the Bible for you, that your sins are forgiven, that from God's point of view, you are sinless, and that heaven is your home. And that is a teaching that occurs not only in many parts of the Bible, but particularly as we read the various lessons for the coming Sunday, which we'll be, we will be doing this Monday to show you how the text for the next Sunday in Lent is all about what Jesus has done for you. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions, we're not in the studio, so you can't phone us, but you can email me at lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until Monday then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.